1: Well, we've got a, we've got a number of really great questions um, through Twitter and, and other social media accounts. Um, so we're excited to kind of dive into them and and answer some of those questions. Should we just start from the top? Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. start from the top, and yeah, yeah, go, yeah, encounter yeah. them as we go.
1: Yeah, yeah, some of them are really interesting. So. Um, yeah. So there's the first one we broke down into, it's actually three separate questions. Let's break it down into three separate ones. So first part of it is, should a distinction be made between transsexual and um, trans, the wide umbrella in practice and law? It's an interesting question because it, transsexual is an older term that used to be used quite a bit and then it went out of out of style. Um, some people really dislike the use of it um, these days, but there has been a movement to reclaim that word. So maybe first of all, we should just kind of define what those two words mean. Um, so yeah. tra- transsexual used to be kind of the old, old term for anyone that was Doing like to use the still language the the sex change right it it was a very binary people wanted to change from one sex to the other um, and live as the opposite sex and so it it and back when when um, the system was a lot more careful and there was a lot more assessment and it was really limited who was allowed to to access these these treatments. Um, I think that's one of the things that they used to look for too, right? Was, you know, they're looking for, well, how successfully are you going to be able to make this transition? And so it tended to be kind of based on a very, um, the criticism of it was that unless you wanted to kind of transition into like a heterosexual man or woman, so it was very limited. So I understand why they wanted to expand that a a little bit for there to be some diversity. But in recent years, that word um, has been brought back, I think, to mean a very binary way of looking at this, right? Like the like kind of going back to this idea that I am living my life as the opposite sex. I'm not, I'm not nine, non-binary. Um, yeah, I, think, tra- I think, Oh, just, yeah. just, a no, resumed,
0: yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the, the, the reuse of the word transsexual, I think is a reaction to um, so like the, the, the word that became uh, kind of mainstream was transgender, right? Somewhere in the 90s that time seemed mm-hmm. to have replaced the term of transsexual. But then uh, in more recent decade or so, the term transgender has become so vague as to mean um pretty much anything. And that's when um, people started to reclaim the word transsexual to mean this very binary medical notion of transitioning from one sex to another, just to differentiate um, from that, from the more vague term that transgender had become.
1: Uh, yeah, because I think, you know, the analysis now is, is like transgender. I mean, you're right. I think that term um, was coined in the 90s. It comes out of queer theory, not from not from the, the medical mm-hmm treatment of of gender dysphoria whereas transsexual I think came out of the medical um, the medical discourse in literature Um, but you're right that like transgender can mean so many different things including um, a queer theory political movement and um, there are people that that um, take on a transgender identity who don't even necessarily have gender dysphoria but they they believe in the in the political movement based on queer theory and I've adopted that term, so it 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 doesn't necessarily even have anything to do with having gender dysphoria and mm-hmm. seeking treatment for gender dysphoria.
0: In a lot of ways, they're kind of counterintuitive uh, states of being or or intentions. You know, one is very much within the boundary go- or the binary, and and going to from one to the other, and the other is is more that yeah, like that political idea of queering the binary, and so it's kind of um, almost almost seeking to undo um, the the very foundational reason of of going from one sex to the other is Mm -hmm. to say, Oh no, both are meaningless. And I'm here to, to kind of uh, to point out that both are meaningless or, or that they're both that they're harmful even um, Mm -hmm. is is where transgender seems to lie.
1: Yeah. And, And, you know, some people that are reclaiming the word transsexual are those that, that have, and I think this is why I've used it too. Like, I had gender dysphoria, and I sought a treatment for gender dysphoria. So, to make a dis- distinction, right, between having a condition, treating it versus having a political, a, a political stance or political leaning. Um, but I think where this isn't just necessarily a straightforward question is not everyone who transitions from one sex to living as the other sex. I wouldn't say necessarily all have gender dysphoria either, even mm-hmm. though they maybe are very binary in that change that they're wishing to make don't necessarily, it doesn't, that in itself, isn't proof that they have gender dysphoria. Would you you agree with that statement? Yes.
0: Yes. I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's still a little bit, it's still messy language, right. And it it brings us to the question of is, is there such a thing as a true trans? What, like, what does Uh that, what would that mean? Right. So that, so it's, it's, a seemingly straightforward question, but it's, it can be, a, it's, I think this is a tricky question because I think at the heart of it is, is there such a thing as true trans versus those that are maybe transitioning for social or political reasons?
0: Right, right. I, um, my perspective is there isn't a such thing as a true transsexual. Um, I think obviously there are they there's very severe gender dysphoria, and people who drastically benefit from living as the opposite sex in society. Uh, it reduces that gender dysphoria. There could be even claims made that that certain people aren't even um, kind of born with a predisposition. I'm not sure if that somebody can be born with gender dysphoria, but certainly born with a predisposition. Um, um, uh, seems to be the case, certainly in like H- HSTS varieties. Um, but I don't think that that means that that person is truly transsexual. I think in all cases, transitioning is a choice individuals make. Mm-hmm. So there are plenty of people who have severe gender dysphoria and do not transition. That person isn't a transsexual. Um, that's just somebody who has dysphoria and has managed it in whatever way they've chosen to um, or outgrown it um, even so I think that's what lies at the heart of this, this question is, is, is the implication that there is some sort of you know, true transsexual and that these people need to be differentiated between people who are transitioning for personal, political, or whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't think that there should be a distinction made between the two groups just because I, don't, I, don't, I think it's a false binary, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, between the two.
1: I think, yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think there is true gender dysphoria and and probably more than one type of true gender dysphoria. Even if you go kind of back to Blanchard's original typology of two, I think these days we're seeing more than just two types. But if if we we kind of go back in time, um, rewind 30, 40 years when there was really these two primary types of gender dysphoria that we're presenting in clinics, it's arguable whether someone is born with one of those types or both of those types of gender dysphoria. Um, You know, is there something wired into the mind that makes a person AGP or, Uh uh um, yeah, I think there is a theory too with the uh, homosexual subtype of gender dysphoria that, that neurologically, I mean, I think it's been kind of disproven that there's a male brain, female brain, but there is a difference between a gay brain and a straight brain. Yeah, that that yeah. is that it. They can see that on scans, and um, in generalities, in, ext- in, in generalities, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and they've been able to to differentiate between someone who's AGP and the homosexual subtype of gender dysphoria in in brain scans because of that, right? So uh-huh,
0: there's a uh-huh. theory that
1: perhaps whatever it is about that's wired into our brains that <coughs> makes us. Um, attracted to a certain sex so if they can if they can scan gay brains and see the difference between gay brain and straight brain there's something neurological there right there's something neurological um, to our sexual orientation yes yes so there is a theory with with um the homosexual subtype of gender dysphoria that is somehow related to that sexual orientation wiring that Hmm. you know so whether i don't know if that's caused from being exposed to testosterone in your drawer or what, what causes that, but Mm -hmm. um, that there may be, if you take that wiring to the next step, it's almost like you're super gay. Mm -hmm. Um, People people resist that, that, that language, but I, I don't mean necessarily, literally you're super gay, but in terms of just the neurology of it, that there may yeah. be something if you continue to expose that brain to too much testosterone, it develops a wiring for sexual orientation, there seems to be something extra that kind of gets added to that, to mm-hmm. some people um, that makes them more gender nonconforming. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there may be, a, you know, a born with it type of gender dysphoria, but I agree with you that doesn't. What what I resist is this idea of that automatically makes you a trans person because that that seems like an over quite
0: homophobic actually
1: it's homophobic but it's also an over identification with the condition it's it's mm-hmm. you know we've worked so yeah. hard you know, yeah. with other conditions to say you know you're not you're not a schizophrenic you are mm-hmm. a person that has schizophrenia uh, you know right? so we don't have to create an entire identity or a type of personhood out of That's having a condition
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah. But I think the intent of the question um, is probably meaning like those that have gender dysphoria and tran- transition to live the other sex versus that wide umbrella, that wide political umbrella. Yeah. I, I think I think is what the question's getting at, and we're maybe overcomplicating it a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I guess my my fundamental answer to it would be no. Well, yeah, I don't know what. <sighs> If there could be a distinction made in law, I don't know how that would be done. Um, and I also think that there are certain branches of the the, the quote unquote trans population, the queering the binary type people who, who might also wish to be distinguished from from our type, right, that there's a lot of them who, who are quite opposed to being um, certainly in the female to male transition camp um, or female to X transition camp who are quite opposed to being assumed to be men and, and being treated in society as men. It's like they very much want to be a trans person. Mm-hmm. And so I could see that they would be actually um, appreciate a distinction being made between you know, the, the more binary transsexual camp and their own view of transgenderism. But again, in practice and in law, I don't see how that could be, um, could be done, I guess.
1: Yeah. And it, it, going back to what I was saying, like, I do think there was a time where things were a little bit too limited in terms of like, unless you fit a very narrow stereotype of what it means to be male or female, that, that they wouldn't mm-hmm. really allow you to transition. And so I can understand why we maybe needed to lighten up on that. I mean, why should we be more male? Why should a trans man be more a male stereotype than the average male, right? There's differences between there's a range of ways to be male and, and be female. Um, but I, yeah, it seems like it's gone kind of too far in the opposite extreme. but if the if what the question is meaning is, um, should we make a, any distinction in law f- between those that have a condition and seek a condition and seek treatment for a condition versus, those that are maybe doing it for political reasons, like does someone who is trans for political reasons sort of, you know, just to fit into a social group, should they be allowed to ch- legally change their sex de- designation? It, you know, is, ha- is having a sort of political, political view a reason enough to say, okay, well, that then will allow you to legally change your sex?
0: Well, I, 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 would, I wouldn't to say, and this might be controversial, but I want to say no. Um, I, I don't think... Well, for one, I, I think that's medical negligence to 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 transition somebody for <coughs> excuse me for political reasons or for um for for um uh social uh, kind of uh, I guess sociopolitical reasons, cultural reasons, if you want to say. Um, again, it's kind of it's quite it's taken on quite a, a admission into a club um, status transition has you know transitioning as basically the 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 um. Means of admission into a club that is trans, and I think that's incredibly dangerous. Um, and then, as far so so medically, that's that's dangerous and just so so wrong uh, to enable. And then, um, on a legal standpoint, I think that does really um, kind of invalidate the um, the distinctions of male and female, certainly in regards to women's spaces women's single sex spaces and so if somebody you know can just opt into a, a female designation on their driver's license for you know political reasons or, or um that's obviously very dangerous uh for 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 women um but then there's also like it does also invalidate and, and i don't mean to sound like you know my identity is valid you know as as a transsexual man you mm-hmm. know i don't want to come out of that way but i mean there is you know, there there is the legal fiction that we are we are allowed for certain, um, you know, ease of our 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 um, mental health, right? Uh, um, we can argue the ethics of that, but I think it is a different. It is still a different designation than somebody who's doing it for political reasons. Um, and so, yes, I think, um, yeah, coming out of this two ways is I, I medically I don't think it's ethical, and legally I don't think it's, uh, yeah, ethical either. Honestly.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with with everything you said. Right? I mean, it. I, I know that there are going to be people that don't think that even we should be able to right. to transition and and legally change sex. I agree with you that it's it is um, a legal fiction um, that should be reserved for people with severe gender dysphoria who need this treatment in order to function in in their life. And and we've and our society has kind of granted us permission, right, to, to do this mm. for our comfort. And um, we don't often talk as a community about, well, what are our responsibilities? So, like, we've been granted this privilege to be able to do this. I mean, people want to turn that into, you know, an entitlement and human rights. But we've been granted permission, you know, to 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 break some of the rules, right? And, and what is our responsibility in society to make sure that, that, that that's, you know, mm-hmm. going to work for people? Because we're the disruptors. Yep. Yep. right yep. in in the whole in the whole picture um whereas a lot of the people that are doing it for more political reasons I feel like certainly not all of them but but some of them I think are doing it very much for the purpose of of being disruptors and that's where I think we that the transsexuals and the transgenders are really butting heads right now yes yeah. you know some of us just want to do this you know in order to improve our mental health and and not and to integrate into society and live successfully into society um, not to disrupt it. And, and then we got, you know, the transgender people that are actively trying to disrupt. Um, and I feel like that their agenda is actually making it harder and harder and harder for me to integrate into society because it, it you know, when you disrupt society, you are going to upset people and they are going to push back. And um, so in, in, in my life and, and I do live in a more, you know, small-town conservative world, the more that the disruptors are disrupting, the more angry people are getting, and I'm starting to feel more and more of that pushback, right? There's more transphobia, more people are, are talking out about how much they dislike the trans community, because that's all they're seeing is what you're constantly trying to disrupt my culture, destroy yep. my culture, destroy our families, and...
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, there is that there is that, um, <clears throat> that pushback on the other side of it. And also, we can get to this later, there's a qu- actually the next, this actually leads well into the next question. So if we- yeah. So why don't we um, do want to just yeah,
1: dive yeah. right into that then? So <clears throat> yes. uh, next question, what are your thoughts on some current attempts by new orgs to separate the T from LGB?
0: I think, yeah, exactly, it bleeds right into it because what I was following up with you is like that, that pushback that we're seeing, um, as, uh, as just trans, transsexual people who want to integrate and live uh, as the opposite sex, <clears throat> you know, now getting that pushback as a result of the more extreme uh, disruptors, as you say, of the trans community. That's now also falling into the uh, LGB uh, camp as well, because the T is, is, as I would say, it kind of tacked on there at the end. And, and it becomes this uh, this idea of a singular community community. Um, personally, I think the T shouldn't just be separated from LGB uh, because it is causing causing a harm uh, to to the you know to two of the three letters that come before it uh, socially um, but also because I don't think that there is the connection there that that people externally seem to believe that there is
1: mm-hmm.
0: being, being sexually attracted to the opposite sex is a very different thing. Or excuse me, being sexually attracted to the same sex is a very different thing than wanting to medically transition to be the opposite sex. These are two distinct things. Often there the motivation behind is, you know, does, uh, does overlap, right. Um, <coughs> to the, the, you know, being, as we talked about before, you know, being extremely, uh, Gay in in such a way that that blending in as the opposite sex is much more comfortable to your life, um, so there is that overlap there. But now, but now that connection seems to be completely out the window as the T does seem to take on more and more of the the Q role of just disrupting uh, all that is all that is sex uh, and that and that legal distinction. Um, so those are three reasons I want them separated. Uh, the the uh, or was that two? Either way, my primary reason is I think. Including the T in LGB is is part of what's enabling, it might be the majority of what is enabling this very, what I see as like a dangerous fad religion of transition. Um, if you put, if you include the T with just these other really, really harmless sexual orientations. Um, but the T, however, in most cases involves irreversible, invasive alterations to one's body and so a lot of you know with with the rainbow being splattered everywhere and everything cis and straight being so uncool and everything queer being so cool (laughs) a lot of people are opting into the t of that acronym as admission into the cool club and um i think it's very very dangerous and um so for mainly for young people trying to trying to work their way into the cool rainbow club that's why i see that the, the majority of the reason why the tea needs to be extricated from the rest because the others you can dabble in you know you, you think you might be gay or lesbian or bisexual you know you can maybe have some awkward experiences and be like nope never mind that wasn't for me but um the the tea you can't you can't undo if you take that to you know it's it's logical uh extent and that's and that's <laughs> Sorry, that's that's three reasons why I'm absolutely in favor of the T being removed from that acronym. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it was originally added to the acronym because you know what I was saying earlier. The for the for the homosexual subtype of gender dysphoria, it, it was it and is a condition that impacts LGBT, LGBT people. So mm-hmm. you know because it's, it's like an extension of the sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. So. It kind of made sense in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, well,
0: another context I think it also does make sense – sorry to interrupt here – is that no. um, autogynophilia is in a lot of ways asexual orientation. So a lot of the people who are advocating for the T to be included are of the autogynophilic subtype, but they don't want to really go into why it makes so much sense for it to be included, and the why – is because it's a sexuality. Um, <coughs> sorry, so I mean, that's what I'm saying is like two reasons, and like so you can see it from both directions. The HSTs, mm-hmm. AGP variety, it's like both kind of make sense, uh, but that that last one they don't want to explain why. Yeah, uh, you know the reason why it makes sense.
1: Uh, and in both cases, it's we're talking about a condition of some kind versus a, a sexual a sexual orientation, and yeah, um, yeah, you know the, the the whole project of queer theory has been this this belief that any distinctions any sort of boundaries and distinctions as groups of people is something to be feared and Uh and dismantled right that that any of these categories and distinctions they see as as prisons we live in you know for the purpose of oppressing us um Uh and and so by blurring all those boundaries right like confusing us as to what is what is straight and what is gay or what is male and what is female and blurring those boundaries so now we have you know basically heterosexual people in the queer community because they're demisexuals or whatever and and (coughs) um and so i think what what the lgb community is waking up to is well actually these these distinctions these categories and distinctions um also protected us, like it allowed us to advocate for ourselves and our unique experiences. And, and so I think what, what the LGB LGBT, LGBT community is saying is, we no longer are allowed to have our own spaces, we're no longer allowed to, to advocate just for people with, you know, a, a same-sex sexual orientation um, or, or women saying, well, what about our rights? What about our health? What about our unique biological needs? Um, so there is this, I think this desire from various communities to to say, well, actually, yeah, the, we want these boundaries back because they were serving um, a protective um, purpose for us, not just not just an oppressive purpose. And I don't yeah. know how we make that, that shift yeah. in thinking from this total distrust of everything category because it just creates a whole new category. Like we never really escape any categorization.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as
1: you said you were saying earlier like we've just created a new binary right we just mm-hmm. created like a, a trans cis binary okay well mm-hmm. now that's that's Which a new mean- categorization system right so yeah.
0: yeah and it's an entirely meaningless one as well just because trans means anything at this point and um so it, it, but then going back to the the t as well in the, in the lgb is what what a lot of people external to the community don't see as I I used that word um I wish I used it uh, ironically but I didn't I used it unironically. but um external don't see that um the the T in most ways completely undermines the 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 rest of the um uh the rest of the LGBs um kind of entire basis for being right so if you if you're saying that a male is now female because because they identify as a lesbian that's completely undermining what it even means to be a lesbian. Um, <clears throat> so in that way, it's it's and, and in the opposite way as well is like you got a lot of um, a lot of these <clears throat> female to male transitioners in the you know in the in the gender queer you know trans identified camp who are you know heterosexual attracted to men but they're now insisting that they are gay men and they belong in in gay, gay men spaces and any gay man who's like well that's not really um, you know a that undermines the purpose of this space is then a transphobe and a bigot and obviously we see this much more on the on the lesbian side of that coin is is um, trans women taking over lesbian spaces because again the vast majority of them are heterosexual males, and people outside don't see that that is what that's what you know the l and b or l and g are are confronted with right now
1: yeah yeah and, and, you know and organizations like the um lgb alliance are very clearly saying like it's not that we want harm to be done to trans people it's not that we want you know your rights taken away it's just that our needs are are unique in some mm-hmm. in in many ways from yours um, so we want to create organizations that are advocating and looking for the needs of us as same sex attracted people mm-hmm. And and we're afraid to continue advocating for our own rights separate from, from gay and lesbian people, right? So it I I don't feel yep. you know, people are reactionary and, and, and see these organizations as transphobic and, and I don't I don't see it that way. People are allowed to to speak for their own their mm-hmm. own needs, their own unique needs, and and they have needs that are different than ours. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's kind of amazing. It's like it's how, how they how they frame it is, um, how the activists are framing it is. A male and female binary is, is that oppressive binary that you're talking about, whereas a cis trans binary is the appropriate, the moral, uh, the progressive binary that we should all now live in. And so when people are trying to live in a in a sex binary of male and female, <clears throat> you know, a real tangible physical reality uh, versus this kind of constructed, meaningless, nebulous, cis trans binary. Well, anybody who doesn't accept this one is is acting out of out of bigotry and transphobia and so that's where that's how they're able to classify the lgb alliance in that in that classification is because they're they're seeing life as it really is they're seeing material reality of male and female and same-sex attraction obviously is dependent on that (coughs) that real um real binary and then uh yeah so so that seems to be the case by and large it's like anybody who doesn't accept the true the true real binary of the cis trans is obviously just acting out of bigotry and transphobia and is therefore a hate group and must be
1: silenced. And people are kidding themselves if they think that that's going to be tolerated in the long term, <laughs> right? Like, yep. because it's yep. not based in material They're burning reality. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: <sighs> moving on. Uh, moving on. Yeah. The next one, next Next one's a really interesting question, too. So, do you feel that feminism applies or should apply to you?
0: Personally, no. Um, I, I can see that. I can see why. Um, um, I, I, yeah, I, I can see why it would. I mean, I'm female. Uh, feminism applies to to people who are female sex, but I don't exist in the world as a female. I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not a victim of misogyny or discrimination or, um, uh, you know, I, I feel like when I transitioned, I entirely inherited um not top, but for all intents and purposes, inherited male privilege, um, something that I didn't really see as existing until I had it. Um, there's a very, it's very clear, the distinction uh, when you pass and live in society as a man versus as a woman. Um, <clears throat> so in that regard, no, I, I don't feel that feminism does um, apply to me. I can understand any trans man having a very different answer to that question, but I think that's my kind of simple, uh, simple answer to that one.
1: I agree with what you're saying that there It does seem like we've kind of opted out of mm-hmm. um, not, I mean, opted out of um, being allowed to speak on, on behalf of, of women because we're not living our life as female anymore. Right. So um, we don't face the same things that women do anymore. I mean, I still, I still value feminist principles though. and And still, I would still say that I try to, Think about and, and live by some of those principles but I don't feel like I I have um, any real stance or, or say within feminist circles anymore I think where I have finding where I'm finding myself engaging with feminist ideas more is just the unpacking of my own dysphoria and mm-hmm. and um, and my concerns by how many young girls especially young lesbians mm-hmm. are are now transitioning like so I, it seems helpful and inevitable to use some feminist analysis in in looking at the whole trans debate. But whether that, whether that means I, I I'm still allowed to call myself a feminist that's that part's debatable.
0: Yep, I would agree with that. Yeah,
1: good stuff. Okay, so the next question um, I'm hearing some who have transitioned bring more subtlety subtlety into it than just that dichotomy that there's a true range or spectrum of experience more than just transitioned or detransitioned so yeah because there is this it's tricky with this language and we've talked a little bit about you know how those words themselves are are in some ways misleading you know this idea of transitioned for example I mean what does that it implies that we it almost implies that we truly are changing sex like we're, we're transitioning from one thing to another thing
0: yep yep Yep, and we like because there was a follow up question by, by somebody else entirely that we we kind of um, tacked on here that that basically um, it's almost it's almost like that that question was answered by the second question here. It's it, it seems to me that by using phrases like transition, which I respectfully believe is misleading because it implies a change of sex, we have created a new binary: transition versus detransition. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so, so um, I think. I think I would entirely agree with that. Is that um, is that transitioning does it, it is like we're talking about a legal fiction, right? Like so, so it is um, it is like a like the bridge to a legal fiction is this this concept of transitioning from one sex to another, and that um, and and then so on the on the flip side of that, you have people who detransition. The implication being that they have changed back from one sex to their, to their natal sex In reality, none of the above has actually happened. It's like, you've, you've altered your body in some way to, to um, appear as the opposite sex. Um, And then, and then you want to take steps to, to undo that process to whatever degree degree um, that's possible, but your sex has never changed. You know, some, some cosmetic or sometimes surgical, let's say cosmetic alterations have been made to your body. Um, But, but yeah, your, your sex has never changed. Um, so I agree. It is it is it is a false dichotomy. I think it exists to be a false dichotomy to be um, you know to 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 prop up that legal fiction of of you yeah. transition to the opposite sex, um, <clears throat> and and I think not only is that that misleading, but I think maybe in in doing away with that dichotomy, we can kind of support detransitioners in in, in a lot of ways by by pointing out that you know uh, that that the I, I don't want to tell detransitioners how to think about their experiences, but you know what I mean. Like it, it's mm-hmm. kind of you know it's like you <clears throat> yeah, there's nothing really to detransition from um, other than yeah to 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 undo what's been done uh, wherever possible or however possible. Again, I, I might be overstepping here, but
1: yeah, and I, I'm not. I, I agree with you, and I've I've. I mean, I wouldn't say I've spent a lot of time thinking about about this, but I don't know what word we could put in the place of transition that would that would be less misleading, like if, if we're going to continue, you know, providing this treatment for people with gender dysphoria, I mean, I don't know what we call that, that, that isn't going to be equally troubling, but I think James, when we talked to James Shoup about mm-hmm. his journey, um, he really, he really highlighted this, right. Cause he went from male to female to non-binary back to male and like, but it, it's still the same person, right? So yeah. You know, I can't remember exactly how we worded that, but it was it was just so so beautiful and so and and yeah, yeah.
0: And yeah. It could be a million, right? It's you're like, standing still and this kind of process is happening around you is what it yeah. put me in mind of. And it was, yeah, it was very, very well put. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, that made me see it in a lot of the ways that I'm now talking about it as well. Yeah. <clears throat> but I I agree with you as well as I, I haven't followed that through to the logical conclusion of what terminology uh, do we use uh, instead. Yeah,
1: a good question. Yeah, I, I can't think of a single word that would that would kind of work um, that isn't yeah doesn't have just the same problems like because the treatment masculinized my appearance right but I'm mm-hmm. still the same person it's not like I transitioned into this completely different mm-hmm. persona like
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I still act the same I still almost look the same I mean I've got a beard now that's probably the biggest difference. It, So it's it's for me it wasn't this like completely reinvention of self and I'm this whole new person I I was Mm -hmm. really what I was seeking in in this treatment was just to improve my mental health and be able to function and and achieve my my life goals Um, and the dysphoria at that time was 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 really having a big impact on my functioning.
0: Yep. Yep. Same, same. I, my thing is I never, um, so it's same thing as I, as I, I, I understood I would always be female and that, um, that I could masculinize, you know, cosmetically masculinize my body in a certain way to appear externally. Uh, but more importantly to, to relieve this, this, very extreme internal discomfort I had with my body. And it worked wonders, uh, in doing that. Um, I did take a lot of, uh, of comfort in, in the world perceiving me as male, um, and I and I still do to a large degree, um, but but now where I'm at is is ethically um, uh, what that means. I don't mean because again there is there is this, this legal fiction that we are perpetuating, um, which which I see is harmless for most intents and purposes, um, and, and does more good than harm in most. Cases um, we're just getting getting into shaky territories with what we discussed um, earlier, but I think I'm getting into a different topic. So I don't know if you want to move to the.
1: Um, sure. Um, there was I, just one other thing I wanted oh, to yeah, say yeah, yeah, about, yeah. about about those words: transition versus de-transitioned. Mm-hmm. Um, is within, like because you're right that it creates that binary. That it, but I've been struggling to to find a word to describe um the experience of how do i put it of regretting at least some part of the transition Mm. but not detransitioning. we don't really have a word for Mm -hmm. that which i think the question is i think that's part of what this question is trying to is trying to ask okay yeah yeah right is that there is a gray area between those two things even if we don't um Dissect what those words mean, right? If we just take those words at face value, there's people that transition, you know, by doing taking these treatments, and there's people that that completely change their mind and undo that. Mm-hmm. But there is mm-hmm. this whole gray area. I mean, there are people mm-hmm. who detransition who still have gender dysphoria, um, mm-hmm. or th- there are people that don't plan, like myself. I don't plan to detransition. I'm. I think that would be too disruptive to my life at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, And even to say regret is too strong a word in my case. It's just that Mm -hmm. I've worked my way out of a lot of the distress I was feeling because of my dysphoria and, and transition that medicalizing my body did help relieve that distress. But over the last 15 years, I've also worked at this and thought about this and done some of my internal work to the Mm -hmm. point where I feel like my mental health is at a point where I it wouldn't have been necessary for me to transition if I had achieved mm-hmm. th- the mental health and clarity that I have now. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's different than regret, but um, yeah, but I think a lot of trans people do regret parts of their transition. Like maybe they're happy mm-hmm. with the hormones, but they regret a certain surgery that didn't go way expected. Or so there, there, there are all these other, um, narratives that are kind of hidden in that yeah. language of there's this transition and detransition eh? and everyone that yeah. doesn't detransition is, is happy with their transition and, and I don't think that's that's the case and I don't think that that narrative is, is well captured yeah. in, in any of the, the research or surveys because you, you, they're kind of doing these, these this research based on this idea that if, you, if you're not detransitioning then it must mean you're happy with your transition and they're not wording the questions in a way that's gonna draw out some of that richer material.
0: Yep, yep, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that that is, yeah, that new dichotomy of transition versus detransition, it, it disguises so much. So, you know, a, a wide wide array of experiences, um, yeah underneath there and i mean maybe as you know people keep having more and more of these conversations being more honest and, and open about about what dysphoria and transition and you know certain elements of regret feel like you know we can mm-hmm. kind of you know p- people can kind of kind of understand better within themselves what that means or what um yeah what steps to take or uh, yeah yeah how to talk about it yeah
1: and, and the root of this problem seems to be, you know, going back to this idea that there is a, such a thing as a trans person, right? Yep. Rather than mm-hmm. an experience of gender dysphoria, that how can you transition and detransition from being this trans person that's somehow innate to your being, right? So, yep. so detransitioners tend to get accused of, well, you never really were trans, right? You never actually had gender dysphoria. Or, um, but if, yep. if we... If we reframe our thinking of this and think of it, this is an experience called gender dysphoria that some people can acquire, some people can recover from, some people um, who detransition still have gender dysphoria, but they decided that the medicalization just wasn't for them for some reason, so they would, they seek to to um, manage their dysphoria in other ways. So when we think of mm-hmm. it as gender dysphoria, this idea of transition and detransitioned. Um, Makes sense, right? It, that this that they can swing, you know, from from transition to detransition and everything in between quite quite mm-hmm. seamlessly because we're all just trying to manage a, a, an inner state of of distress, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's not a, a state of, of of solid personhood.
0: Yep, yep. It's another reason why that whole trans cis binary is so incredibly harmful.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Okay, next question is, I'd be interested to hear what people with GD wish it was called sex dysphoria. I agree with that. Um, would be clearer. Uh, think are the kind of legal social rights or accommodations that would be helpful with go crossing into sex self ID.
0: Such a tough question.
1: Because in some countries, they don't allow you to legally change sex until you've until you've medically transitioned right because I, I think that's like in the UK don't they have some sort of like document that, that um yeah the gender
0: recognition certificate uh, GRC yeah um I'm not sure what all is required in that um, I know I think it used to be the case that people had to have um complete SRS right um in order to to qualify as the opposite sex um which I've mixed feelings about, I'm going to, I'm going to now fully land on the case that I think that's inappropriate uh, just because it, it encourages people to have uh, a kind of, kind of, yeah. Yeah. encourages people to have, um, you know, really invasive surgeries um, that oftentimes, you know, are are quite, quite experimental and can be, you know, quite loaded with, with, um, uh, with, complications and whatnot. And so, so I, I can see the, the um, on one hand, yes, this means you're actually serious and you do intend to live and and function as the opposite sex. Um, But, but just with how dangerous those surgeries are, I don't um, yeah. Kind of putting, putting mentally vulnerable people, shoveling them in a direction where they feel like they have to go that route um, is, is probably not, is not, not a good idea. Um,
1: It's a really tricky ethical question, isn't it? Like, um, because I know that the the transactivist side of things is so much about bodily autonomy and, mm-hmm. you know, that nobody should, be, you know, force us to have this surgery or this surgery or this intervention or this intervention. And yet if we take away any requirement in order to, to legally change sex, then we are left with the self ID question, right. That anyone can just declare that they are the opposite sex and everyone is somehow supposed to adjust and and adjust pronouns. And even though we don't have any visual cues. and (laughs) So I, I don't know what the answer to that is exactly. I definitely agree with you like a hard line with, with like the genital surgeries because they're, Having been through them, they're so awful, and the complication rates are so high. I don't think it should be a requirement that we force people to undergo a procedure that is a pretty mm-hmm. shitty procedure, right? right. It, it, it's too high risk. Um, but I do feel like there should be some requirement, like yeah, you know, that that you know, some commitment and some requirement that prior to you receiving legal recognition as the opposite sex, that there needs to be. Something beyond just a self-declaration. De-
0: yeah, yeah. I know in, in my state, all it required was a self-declar. Well, not a self-declaration. I had a letter from my doctor um, that was that was saying that I. Um, I don't even. It, I think it was that I was diagnosed with transsexualism, was what it was, um, and that and that enabled me to have an M on my on my on my state ID. Um, but I don't. I, I remember. I I don't even know if I had been on. I certainly hadn't had any surgery at that point. Um, I think I may have had been on hormones for a month or two. Um, I certainly wasn't visibly red as male uh, when I was legally designated as such. Um, uh, I think maybe half the time I, I kind of passed as it, but that's not really a, a good guiding post. Um, but yeah, I don't just going, going from personal experience. I don't know what that, that should be. Um, I mean, in most cases of, 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 um, male to female transition, you know, hormones alone are not going to uh, visually uh, change somebody um, from from being, you know, perceived as male um, and yet still being, because obviously it's the case in at least my state, I think every state, I, I don't think you can discriminate on that level of, of male versus female transition. Um, but, you know, it is it is kind of understood that that it's easier for female to male transitioners once you're on hormones for a matter of months to kind of be read uh as as the opposite sex where it isn't as easily the case uh, in the in the male to female direction so so that's why i hesitate to say okay hormones for a certain matter of months is what you know should designate one um because so much of it is, is how we're being perceived societally and what and what where what situations and, and, and places we put ourselves in, based on that that legal sex designation, you know, could be quite disruptive to uh, to the other people in those spaces, based on what they're what they're perceiving. Um, again, so many reasons why this is a very difficult. It's a good question, but I just it's an excellent don't have question. A way. And yeah, yeah,
1: I I I totally agree with everything everything you've you've said. And, and yet, for everything, because I could have said all the same things, but you know, for every one of those points, I can kind of think of a of a reason why that's. Yeah. potentially ethically complicated as well right so yeah. it, i don't know exactly what the answer is i'm glad i'm not in the position to be writing this policy <laughs> right on the spot here because it, it is hard and we do need to balance you know yeah. basic human rights we shouldn't be forcing people to do anything with their with their bodies and yet there are obvious problems mm-hmm. with just self id as well um you know to grant people legal recognition as, as the opposite sex just because they say so it, there's so much there, it, there's so much room for people to abuse that as well yeah. so i don't know it's it's a really and and the question of like do do we make rules based on whether someone passes or not right like that's yeah that's an yeah, whole yeah economy yeah of, well you, yeah. you look you look female so we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. give you yeah, <laughs> legal recognition yeah. as female but people can't control that we can't control how these yeah. interventions change our bodies or or not that's yeah genetic too and some people can't go on hormones for various health reasons and but they might yeah. still have very severe gender dysphoria and yeah
0: yeah
1: it's, yeah. it's complicated
0: In- incredible yeah
1: so I, I hope whoever asked this question wasn't hoping that we had a perfect answer for that because <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> <'cause> i don't <laughs> yeah.
0: no way <laughs>
1: um Is there a way to distinguish between having gender dysphoria and being trans as an identity is that is it offensive or beneficial to frame the conversation as how as to how psychologically medically treat gender dysphoria instead of affirming an identity well i think that was the goal of the the hormone readiness assessment once upon a time i mean i think that's maybe less the case now with, with the informed consent model. I don't think clinicians are necessarily looking for that distinction anymore, um, but that used to be the whole point of the, gen- of the hormone readiness assessment was to make the diagnosis of gender dysphoria, right? And, and that this mm-hmm. was then a treatment for gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in the, in the trans community, and this, this isn't new, I think this is a growing problem over the last 20 years, but 20 years ago, There were still people that transitioned for for social and political reasons so i I wouldn't say that's that's entirely new and i think the challenge that clinicians were having was even when they took the time to do an assessment people lied right Mm -hmm. like people would lie people would um talk to other trans people and kind of learn the script and and we would just kind of coach to say certain things in order to to pass the assessment um so I wonder to what extent that the informed consent model, and I'm talking completely off the top of my head here, but to, to what extent is the informed consent model also about conditions? just saying like, if, if people are just going to lie to us anyway, like.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like I can't control that. Right. Like if someone t- tells me everything I want to hear in order to get this, like I, I don't have a lie detector test. Like I can't tell right. who's lying and who isn't. So I guess I just, you know, Unless they unless there's something really obviously dangerous or, or, or wrong here, right? They're floridly psychotic or something. Then, I guess I'll just pass them all along. Then, because I, what else am I supposed to do?
0: Yeah, yeah. Clinicians are put in an impossible situation right now. Um, it's interesting that this has been you know, like you say has been going on for for over. You know, 20 years is kind of um, inter-community um, kind of coaching on how to answer these questions to ensure you get the, the transition services you want. Um, now with, with message boards, I mean, they were, they, they were existed back then, you know, online message boards for this stuff. But the proliferation uh, now is, uh, you know, you got 15, 16, 17-year-olds just, you know, watching YouTube videos on how to, how to get access to this, you know, reading, um, you know, bullet-pointed um, Reddit posts. And um, and you can't you can't interrupt it you can't challenge it you can't you know uh, because that's conversion therapy and yada yada but I think with that with that I think part of what this question is also ask, asking is um, do we think that there is a difference between between um, having gender dysphoria and and being trans um, and and I think you were also answering that in, in that. Um, the the two are so, so conflated. Um, And I think we also kind of touched on this earlier question as well, is that um, I I don't personally believe that they are, I mean, so I can only answer personally. I know a lot of people are going to answer this question differently. Um, Certainly the, the, I identify as trans camp, but um, I, I don't think that there is, well, I, no, I think there is a very distinct, there is a distinction in that in that having gender dysphoria does not mean one is trans and that a lot of people now today are claiming to be trans without having gender dysphoria, even mm-hmm. even not even just lying to have about having gender dysphoria. They, they outright say they don't have gender dysphoria and having it is not necessary in order to be trans. Um, definitely two distinct things at this point um i used to be of that kind of true scum variety that oh in order to be trans you have to have gender dysphoria um but i think that's nonsense because obviously for many years people have been transitioning without having gender dysphoria and those people are very much trans in that they have medically altered their bodies in the direction of the opposite sex again if we're still going to use that terminology we like um but but, um, uh, but then on the other side, flip side of that, of course, is, is having gender dysphoria does not mean that you are trans. You know, we, we speak to people all the time with gender dysphoria who do not transition and who, who don't uh, seek to transition. And I think part of that question was, is there, um,
1: is there a way to, to make the distinct is there a way to distinguish between having gender dysphoria, the condition of gender dysphoria versus an identity? I can't help but look at that at, from a clinician point of view, right? Like I can't, right. that's where my mind automatically goes. So if I had a, a young yeah. person in, well, I used to have young people in front of me, right? And and I'm trying to make it that distinction, like is are they just doing this to fit into a social group or are they doing this for political reasons or do they seem to have gender dysphoria? Sometimes that was easier to tell than others and and there were ways that I would try to to ask questions um to try to draw some of that out in a way that someone couldn't just memorize a script
0: mm-hmm.
1: for me, um, mm-hmm. and one of the ways that, I mean, a, it was a lot easier to do that assessment. A, well, a it's easier to do that assessment with young people, um, because if you if you kind of get if you if you're working with someone young enough that that, that they they haven't really formed an identity around it yet, it's just an experience. Mm-hmm they come kind of confused and, and have this experience of gender dysphoria. It's so much easier to access that, right? And and to work with that young person and to talk about that. And I would ask questions about, um, you know, like things like uh, their Halloween costumes like or their imaginary play as children and and, and just really draw out their their narrative of mm-hmm. what they were like as children and what they were struggling with and how they were making sense of that experience. But if they came to me having already learned a lot of the queer theory and, you know, like the political rhetoric uh, of mm-hmm. trans identity, because there are there, there can be people that have that buy into that politics and that culture who do have legitimate gender yeah. dysphoria, too. Mm-hmm. So that makes it really hard to make a distinction. It's not mm-hmm. either or. It's not like you have gender yeah. dysphoria with no... Political rhetoric and, and those of political rhetoric with no gender dysphoria, sometimes those two things exist simultaneously.
0: Absolutely. So yeah. that
1: made it so much harder. It was so much easier to do the assessment if they hadn't really had much contact with the trans community and hadn't learned the political language yet. So you could just have a conversation about them and their experience and what this was like for them. So it, I always tried to peel away that layer of just everything they learned about being trans from the internet or the community, to kind of peel that back. It's like, okay, what, what, what was this experience really like for you before you adopted the politics?
0: Right, right.
1: But it, it's a little bit like, um, you know, you can't see the wind, but you can see the impact of the wind. And, and that's mm-hmm. one thing that I was picking mm-hmm. up with some of these kids is, is, you know, there isn't a blood test or, or a brain scan I can do that would prove that they have gender dysphoria. But I could, with some of the kids, see the impact of the gender dysphoria on, um, on, on their emotional health and their, their mental health and their, their social health. So, um, so the question that is like, is gender dysphoria the only thing that could have caused those symptoms? Uh, and it, it can be really hard, I think, to distinguish between the impact of gender dysphoria and autism for example mm-hmm. because for me um there are probably times probably even still where, where I seem a bit autistic but I think that has steadily improved once I transitioned in, in my case so there are people that I think have autism pr- as a primary diagnosis and because they don't pick up on social cues or they may be um socially isolated because the autism sometimes buy into a trans identity because it solves a problem mm-hmm. for them uh, that they misunderstood what they were experiencing. I mean, there's someone in our network that had that experience where she was struggling socially, wasn't picking up on social cues, thought maybe that was because she was trans and then mm-hmm. transitioned and then was diagnosed with autism and realized, oh, well, that better, that better explains mm-hmm. what I was experiencing, Right. I'm not trans after all that this was actually my autism. So there's, there's that concern, right. That, that mm-hmm. are we actually transitioning a whole bunch of autistic kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do think for people that aren't autistic and just have gender dysphoria, it can look very similar because when I was a kid with, with, um, gender dysphoria it was a very confusing experience and it was a very social thing for me and we've talked about this a little bit like for for females it tends to be more about more social Mm -hmm. not not sexually motivated and Mm -hmm. and it was impairing my ability to socialize because it just it felt so painful for me that um it, it, it well, it worked okay for me as a little kid because there's not a lot of differences between boys and girls when we're children, mm. and and as a tomboy that's somewhat socially acceptable, and so I had lots mm. of friends and I was functioning socially. But as I became older and once puberty hit, it became really socially complicated. I became a lot more socially withdrawn, and social skills are skills, right? <laughs> if we're not using those skills, we we lose them, and and that can start to look a lot like autism when we become a lot more withdrawn and stuck in our heads and and the experience Mm -hmm. of dysphoria is a very it can be a very dissociative kind of experience Mm -hmm. if we're dissociating from our bodies and and not connecting to the world Mm -hmm. I did feel very stuck in my head which which could look a lot like autism so I had the exact same
0: experience yeah it could be really
1: hard to to, so when I transitioned Because it's it, chicken because, egg, yeah. Because for me, I do think it was rooted in the dysphoria as the primary problem. Yeah. It did get better mm-hmm. once I once I transitioned. I feel more. I feel like people see me the way I want to interact with the world, and so I've, I'm developing social skills. Yeah, one.
0: I feel the exact same way. And one uh, one question I have around this is: Is it because our kind of ASD tech um, uh, ways of interacting? Are, are much more socially acceptable in males than in females. Like I know, I know, for example, that yeah, that um, that 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 hyperfixation, the obsessive-compulsive kind of, um, uh, and and kind of uh, mental isolation and things that I that I did when when the world perceived me as female, even well into adulthood, um, that all stopped, and I and I live much more externally uh, now that I present as male. And I wonder how much of that is a relief from dysphoria. I know I know it feels cer- certainly like entirely relief from dysphoria, but I also wonder how much of my way of engaging with the world. Uh, because it's because you know autism is so much e- so much easily uh, at um, diagnosed and maybe I'm going in the wrong direction here and I could be counter. Uh, contradicting myself, but I think I think people who females who are more idiosyncratic and uh, really uh, objective and really um, uh, not not really socially fluent in in the ways that females are supposed to be or typically mm-hmm. are, it can feel much more comfortable to live as a man. It just it's um, it, it it seems to suit us better. Um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if there's some validity in that, as well as just the relief from the bodily and social dysphoria. Is that is that our personality types just feel more comfortable being read as male versus female? Because we kind of feel like a, a square peg uh, situation when trying to trying to exist being read as female.
1: That could be. That's no. a good point. Yeah that if people are are expecting something different from us now that mm-hmm. that we appear as as male because I do have a certain concreteness in my thinking and mm-hmm. um and yeah I'm not as I'm not as social and and, and verbal as as mm-hmm. we tend to expect women and to be. And so yeah that could be that could be a part of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point.
0: May I tapped into something here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it, like you said, it's hard just to, to say like the whole chicken and the egg thing too, right. but um, I mean, my dysphoria got to a point where I felt like my internal world was just so different from the external world and and how I, like I would look in the mirror and how I would expect myself to look in the mirror. There was such a mismatch that it, it felt almost physically painful to be seen by anybody, right? Like Because okay. it's like so I became more and more and more withdrawn because it just, I could tell like I, so it was a sense of, I didn't even necessarily have words for it, but it felt like, I don't want you to see me because you're not seeing me, was sort of how I felt, right? And so it's like, no, I just, yeah. I'm just going to disappear <laughs> into into my own world here because you know, yep. there was such a split between my internal world in my head and, and the external
0: I, I yeah I I had the well I, for me it wasn't painful to be to be externally perceived but I did do the same thing but for me it was more like I just pretended everybody saw me the way I saw myself until there was something that came in direct conflict with that and then it was what well, we would say a dysphoria trigger where it was very clear that I was being um, being perceived as as a woman and that and that just felt so foreign to me and so I lived my life mostly pretending people saw me the way that I was. Um, the, the way that I saw myself, um, mirrors on the other hand, I just avoided like the plague. Like I, I could not look at myself. Like when I looked at myself in the mirror, it was, that was like that being confronted with what other people saw, um, is, is when I looked in the mirror. And, um, mm-hmm. so I, I, avoided mirrors, uh, entirely. And then I transitioned and became incredibly vain. So, so that, that switched.
1: Well, it's such a, re- <laughs> it's such a relief. Like I used to hate yep. my clothes. I, I used to hate how yep. clothing felt on my body. Um, so is it vanity? I mean, for me, it was just such a relief to not yeah. feel that yeah. distress. It probably did look a lot like vanity and self-obsession, but for me, it was just such a relief. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can wear, wear clothes and they, you know, I can get excited about going and buying clothes and um, not dread it. Yeah. yeah. So my wife kind of teases me, you know, that I have more clothes than she does, which isn't actually <laughs> true, but I do have more shoes than she has, but it's not, it's not vanity. It's not like I love clothes and I want to, you know, look a certain flashy sort of way it's just it's just such a, a novelty right it's like you don't understand like that it's such a relief to buy clothes now when and for like 30 years of my life yeah. i hated everything about clothing so
0: yeah it, it almost feels very much like making up for lost time to me yeah. like yeah, um, yeah it's, it's like you're just you're overcompensating or not overcompensating but yeah making up for lost time like yeah. kind of yeah getting extracting extracting joy in the external world that you kind of avoided before
1: yeah yeah um, I had a thought and then I, lo- I lost it. I was going to pick up on a thread of something you said and maybe it'll come back to me oh. a little bit later. Okay. Oh, I did want to ask you, I remember because you were saying that it, it was painful to look at yourself in the mirror. Do you find, are you able to look back at old photos of yourself prior to to transition? Is that is that comfortable for you?
0: It, it, well, it started to be about, about three or four years ago. Um, I, I became very comfortable with that. There was a long time where I avoided old pictures of me. Uh, it was it, it, um, was very yeah. Again, the only way to say it is, is dysphoria triggering to look at pictures of old me. But now I look at those pictures and um, a, a sense of endearment. You know, like I it's it's far enough away um, that it doesn't like. Like I don't think like I shouldn't look like that like I used to uh, when I would see those pictures and like when I would look in the mirror. Um, but now, but now I'm, t- with um, old self. And in certain ways, there's even a sense of nostalgia. Like I should have. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know when to sound vain again, but it's like of me. And I was like active. Like at the time, obviously, I just saw grotesque. You know, I saw something that shouldn't be, um, but so in conflict with my reflection. Um, but now I'm so far removed from that that internal feeling of conflict um, that that I just have a sense of kind of yeah kind of kind of um, endearment. I don't I don't know how to explain this so much. It's it's a weird experience. It's a um, mm-hmm. but but I definitely don't. Yeah, you know, the last few years I those don't those fic, those pictures don't inspire any feeling of of dysphoria or distress in me. In fact, kind of the opposite. Maybe nostalgia, like. And that's where, you know, I I come now with, with like the same experience you're talking about is like, had I had, you know, the mental tools I have now, like, um, this is going in a deep direction I hadn't quite anticipated actually (laughs) (laughs) kind of of the purpose of the podcast though. Right. But, um, uh, yeah, so I, I do, um, it's like, yeah, if, if I could look at myself the way I look at myself now, then transition wouldn't have been necessary, but was transition necessary in order for me to perceive myself that way, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And my experience is similar that there used to be, I couldn't look at photos of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the years, that's gotten easier. And I, yeah, endearment is a good word. I like that. I like okay. that word. Like I'm able to look at those old photos and feel some um, some compassion mm-hmm. for that person. I, th- I still feel a little bit distant from that person, but yeah, but for whatever reason, that distance no longer feels like an unhealthy thing. It it feels like a healthy thing in some uh, way that I, I don't know if I can quite articulate it, but I'm able to look at those pictures. And I mean, I recognize that it's, that it's me and I'm able to look at them with. um, Yeah. Endearment and, and, and just compassion. Cause some of those photos I look really awkward and I know what that awkwardness meant. Like I could, I I know that it,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that that was the dysphoria and, and that I was suffering and I'm able to feel Rather than just look at those photos and feel immediately kind of repulsed, Mm -hmm. like, it was a very visceral, like, response Mm -hmm. I used to have, right, where it's, like, um, just so distressed and so repulsed. It's not that I thought that I'd looked ugly or disfigured or something, but, yeah, I just, it had this we yeah, very wrong. Um, mm-hmm. This lack of, of body ownership, like, no, that's not, mm-hmm. that's not me. And that's not what I look like, but I am able to look mm-hmm. at those photos now. And it did make a difference. I don't know if this was your experience, but when I started to accept the fact that I am biologically female and that that's never going away and that this mm-hmm. is, this is a treatment for gender dysphoria and I've masculinized, but I'm still female.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I was able to really accept that, um and in, it integrated parts of me right I'm no longer rejecting um a big part of my own story and my own reality yep. and I, I felt like that's yep. that's when I really started to turn a corner and be able to look at those pictures and and not have that same kind of recoiling reaction right
0: yep yep exactly same and I I wonder just going back to a little bit what what you said before is um it why is it that that person, you know, it's like if you've got a sense of endearment, but but that per, but that person does feel so so distinct from you, like a, a kind of dis a distance. And I wonder we have an interesting perspective in that um, our, our kind of ba- brain chemistry has changed along the way too. So I don't know with with cross-sex hormones, right? Because it, it impacts your psychology mm-hmm. quite a bit. And so I do wonder how much of looking back and feeling like I was so that was a different person. Like you remember being that person, but it does feel like an entirely different person to you now. And so I, I do wonder how much of that is age, just, just normal growing up, you know, aging and how much of it is, you know, that we have altered our psychology in a way that most people haven't altered their psychology as they age. And so there's a lot of experiences that I had or or just the way that I thought just kind of cognitively functioned emotionally and whatnot, um, that's very different than how I am now. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think most of that is age. I think most of that is, um, you know, is, is male levels of testosterone. That's kind of impacted a lot of my, my, the way I perceive the world and mm-hmm. myself and, and stuff. And so, so I do think we have a unique experience in that. I think a lot of it probably is just distance from age. Uh, but, but I think there is like the reason that person might feel a little bit more distant than even just, you know, any other person 10 years 15 mm-hmm. years previously um is, is i do think that there's a there's an element of, of our, our psychology has in fact changed fairly profoundly yeah
1: yeah that's a good point because it's just like uh, you're right that the testosterone isn't just a clever just you know, external disguise but yeah. it, it does impact our you know our, yeah. our brains and mm-hmm. our emotions like i'm not able to to cry anymore on testosterone like all the, you know, so i have to learn to manage my emotions in other ways and
0: It's so funny too because I'm entirely the opposite. I know I'm really I'm a total outlier in this because I I was never a crier before. I um you know I I had quite you know a range of emotion and whatnot. Uh, but I feel like I'm much more sentimental now. Um, this is the second episode of this podcast. I've started to cry during because it's like like things that are just kind of uh, nostalgia or sentimental or like they just like my tear ducts just and they and the, it started happening just a few months on testosterone, which is completely mm. counter to most people. So I can be watching a commercial that's sentimental and I'll start crying. I took my niece to see this movie that was like the most cheesy piece of crap I've ever witnessed. But every time this dumb dog died, I would stop. Like, like so. My nine-year-old niece is sitting next to me. Like, you're embarrassing. You know, but
1: well, like, so, yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that because yes, now that you're saying that, I, I agree. So I guess I need to to explain a little better what I mean mm. because yeah, you're absolutely right as far as like sentimental things. Mm-hmm like watching a sentimental yeah. movie or something like something that's that touches sort of my heart you yeah. know in a sentimental sort of way or really yep. sweet sort of way like yep. I remember early in my transition going and watching um super dogs a super dog show and, mm. and the dogs okay. were so cute and I was crying yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what so, yeah. so so you're right like for sentimental things I cry yeah. a lot more easily but out of like frustration or or sadness or that's uh, so true those things things i don't i don't tend to to cry
0: things that are deep like my dad died and it took me i think two days to to actually cry you know like um and we were very close but like things that are things that are very uh very deep and and profound and and terribly sad uh those i don't respond yeah it's it's just sentimental things that's that's very interesting yeah okay wow (laughs) (laughs) look
1: forward to our, our talk coming up uh About testosterone and the impacts of testosterone. Yeah, yeah, little teaser for people here. (laughs) Yep. Um, We're almost at the end of our questions. So, um, as passing trans men, how has your advocacy affected your personal and professional lives?
0: I'll, I'll answer this. Uh, mine's, mine's kind of um, a quick answer uh, in that and yours is probably going to be a lot more, um, if you've had a lot more to deal with in this regard. But for me, all of my advocacy has taken place within the confines of COVID. Um, so I was basically, um, I mean, I, I lived stealth for a long time, um, but kind of came out uh, via Facebook, therefore to new friends and colleagues uh, who hadn't previously known um, in around 2018 I want to say, and and people got a little bit awkward around me at first and then and then things just kind of went back to normal. And um, but uh, but then with in regards to um, so I gave I gave up that whole pass. I mean, obviously, I still pass, but I was I've no longer lived entirely uh, stealth as I used to. Um, uh, But but with regards to making myself kind of public in this regard with with gender dysphoria alliance in this podcast and whatnot or even even when i started getting much more outspoken on twitter about a year and a half ago um it's all been done within this kind of uh social bubble of COVID. so i haven't really been uh out living my real life um it, it's all so i have yet to see uh what that might feel like um uh for example, my, boss started listening to this podcast so uh which is really kind of sweet uh, but also really kind of it's just when I think about things like that it's very um uh, there's a very sense of of weird kind of vulnerability and exposure that um that I hadn't really maybe maybe thought fully through um I mean I, I definitely have no regrets uh with with this kind of exposure and this kind of activism but um um but yeah time time will tell you know mm-hmm. if <laughs> if life goes back to normal when life goes back to normal uh what that what that feels like in a day-to-day um but but as far as like external um um uh, pushback or or anything like that i I absolutely haven't had to deal with uh with any of that so Mm -hmm. time remains to be told but
1: yeah i'm curious about about the word passing in this question you know like i mean what difference would it make in this in this discussion if we weren't passing so i'm i'm trying to think of what what might be the intention there of, of highlighting Ooh. the word highlighting the word passing in in the question right like right right and one of the, so i think okay. one of the ways i'd like to answer that question is you know cuz you mentioned that you were living stealth before so one of the ways i wanted to answer this question is because we were we were passing and and i was living stealth as, as well um, is that it would be easy for us to just kind of ignore that all of this is, is happening and just go and, and live our lives as, as we have been and um, and not even think about the trans question anymore, right? It, which is what I was trying to do. I just, I, I um, received the treatment. The treatment was helpful for me. I've just been trying to live my life. And so I wonder if this could be a question of why would we risk that, right? Why, if, if we, we could just live stealth and, and just disappear into the world as men, why would we risk coming out and saying what we're saying if we didn't have to?
0: Um,
1: How would you answer that? Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> this In that case, yeah, this is a very good question in that regard uh, because um, I think the answer is, there's two, twofold for me, is that um, one, I like, I see the damage that's being done. And I feel like, I I feel like I have the capacity, um, to, to talk about it and to kind of, um, to kind of get in, like, I, I, I don't want to feel like, don't want like this kind of Superman thing, but, but I feel like I have, there's almost like a moral duty to talk about it, to, to come forward and, um, and to talk about this stuff, to draw attention to it, uh, because I do really feel like immense harm is being done, uh, is being perpetuated in the name of of trans and transition. And I think it's a matter of years, a handful of years before that damage is shown for what it is. Um, and and I couldn't live with myself if I just sort of, you know, ducked my head and uh, ignored it all. Um, for, for what I see again is is the remaining maybe five, 10, yeah, I can't even imagine it lasting that much longer, but just, just a matter of years um, we're going to see the full extent of, uh, of the harm that's being done uh, to mostly young women uh, and teenage girls. And, uh, and, and the more I can talk about it and, and, and draw attention to it um, you know, I think, I think as as trans adults who've been through this um, even who have a, who have a positive experience with it for, for, you know, maybe even, even just 60, 70% positive. Exp- like we have, a, um, I don't want to say a duty. I feel like it's a duty, but I don't want to put that on anybody else. Um, but yeah, I guess that's why I do it is, is I I couldn't live with myself if I didn't. Um, again, I don't, I just mean that very personally. I know other people have very different ways of dealing with this or, or, or
1: Yeah. Yeah yeah i agree with you that it, it kind of feels like we're all on a bus and we can see that it's headed for a cliff right yep yep um yep and what is our responsibility you know, We were, we were talking earlier about yeah society has 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 granted us the privilege of being able to do this so that we could feel some some relief from our dysphoria but what is our responsibility right in in mm-hmm. that and in how we wield that kind of um this you know this tool that's been given to us so that's where I'm coming from is I do feel a sense of responsibility um, yeah. and you know we're older and we've been doing this for a while so we have a little more sort of historical perspective on this. I don't want to leave it to to the kids to have to sort all of this out because they're not going to have that those all the same tools and the perspective that we have as as older adults and and I agree that I think a lot of harm is being done and it's it's just a matter of of years i my Mm -hmm. best guess would be yeah a few handful of years um Mm -hmm. as well so i don't see how i could live with myself either to just ignore that that's happening and let let people be damaged to that i wish we could i actually wish we could we could do this faster than than we are right i I have to pace myself there's only so much that i as an individual can do but i do feel a sense of responsibility to, to try to do something to to slow it down um, just so that fewer people are, are harmed. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I hope, you know, the fact that we're passing as, as men, it's interesting to see how that plays out, you know, when, when we're talking about this stuff um, because the whole, the language has been, has been obscured in a way that, we can't just talk about the issues as, as they are. I don't know how, how, to, how to articulate that. Like, if we're not allowed to, to talk about different kinds of gender dysphoria or how trans politics are impacting gay and lesbian people or women or children, like, we can't have a really honest conversation about how all of that is playing out in society if we don't have a conversation about biological reality.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And when we are the ones that are drawing attention to that, um, we've been accused of this new kind of term trans misogyny you know because we're women or we're we're, we're men you know we're passing males so everything we say right. gets interpreted as you are a male saying this you are a male criticizing trans <laughs> mm-hmm. women therefore you're misogynist because you're men attracting yeah. you're men attacking women and that's probably been the first most frustrating part of all of it for me yeah. i mean yes i'm passing as male because i take testosterone but a lot of what I have to say is actually coming from my history as female and, and a lesbian.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's infuriating because we see we're trying to kind of uh, interrupt what we see as as medical harm that's being done, but we have to do so within this really Orwellian construct that's just absolutely. Um, Maddening, like it makes you feel like you're actually insane um, when you when you uh, get confronted with the ideas like yeah, that that we have male privilege and we're uh, perpetuating perpetuating misogyny against heterosexual men who want to be lesbians. It's it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start going on an angry rant, but like that's it it's, is it's frustrating, it, you know, Yeah, like yeah. having
1: lived a great deal of my adult life as an actual lesbian, right? To be told that I no longer have a say in queer and trans politics because now I'm a straight man. Yeah. But straight men who take estrogen and want to be lesbians now have a say in all of that, right? So it is this, yeah, very, very bizarre, very surreal reality that we're living in today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that leads, I think we've got one more question and, and that kind of maybe leads nicely into it. Um, yep. So why is there not more discussion about the role that sexism plays in, I guess, the, you know, these trans politics? The so sexism within the homes or communities where girls want to be boys and boys want to be girls. Do you reflect on that part played by your absorbing the sexist attitudes and beliefs? I think the spirit of the question is, is maybe saying that um, that gender dysphoria is a direct result of of sexism. Is that kind of how your is that your take on on the on the question? And and I don't know that I agree that that's always the case. I don't know that that gender dysphoria. I think some people maybe do transition because of sexism and, and homophobia. And I've talked before about how homophobia was was probably a factor in my decision to transition. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it was a factor in the dysphoria itself
0: right right okay i i think for for me so i used to say that absolutely not that that sexism didn't didn't play a role or that um how it's often phrased in our direction is internalized misogyny i used to say no internalized misogyny didn't play a role because i never conceptualized myself as a woman like it seemed like a foreign a foreign concept so it's like no i didn't feel like i was a victim of misogyny because I wasn't a woman, you know, obviously mm-hmm. very technically um, I was, but so I used to say no to that question. But now when I think back, you know, I, my, my, my early upbringing and my childhood years, that I think is what, what helped formulate this idea of this, this concept of myself as not a girl, mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as a boy, or as a man, as I grew up, but um, was based on, you know, there maybe not entirely, but I think a lot of it was based on really strict, um, uh, uh, conservative notions of of what men and women do. And, uh, and I felt very at odds with this, you know, so I grew up, you know, homeschooled reading, you know, home ec textbooks that were basically teaching me uh, that I was supposed to be a wife and a mother. And it's it was like, well, absolutely not. That's not me. I'm not going to do that. Um, so I don't know how much of that was was like this this kind of sexist conservative notion of what of what role uh, females play in society and in the home that I was objecting to, or that I was just objecting to it because it felt so foreign for me personally. Um, because I, I was running and brown and you know playing with the boys and I, I just had this. So again Chicken and egg. I don't know which came first: me rejecting mm-hmm. that kind of construct because I felt like I was a boy, or me deciding I was a boy because I didn't like that construct I was supposed to be uh, raised into. Um, so, I, so I do think that maybe there is a certain elements that that influenced my gender dysphoria as it developed because because the concept of so yeah. Again, chicken egg did, did I reject it because it felt so. Uh, so confining and so uh, restrictive or did I reject it because it was so out of character for me? I think this could all be ex- examined from a, from a rather sexist uh, perspective or a, a feminist, certainly uh perspective. I don't know if that answers it kind of a weird way, but.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it, 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 that does make it a hard question, right? That whole chicken and an egg sort of thing. And. Yeah. And I've tried to reflect back on what was dysphoria like for me as like a three-year-old or a five-year-old and, you know, before I had an awareness about things like sexism or gender Mm -hmm. roles or, so it is, it's hard to, it is hard to to sort of tease those things apart and and say, well, no, it was, wasn't a factor. It was a factor. I don't Mm -hmm. I don't know how we, I don't know how to even yeah, I don't. I don't know how to how I would separate those two things enough to to say for certain.
0: And it's also interesting too, I think, because as we, my my memories of my early childhood seem to change as I grow older. So I think there's, I think it's sort of a natural thing where you're kind of uh, imprinting on your your very young self. You know, who you are now. You know, so I so I don't know that it's even possible to really extract, you know, exactly what you are thinking and doing because because I think you know. How I conceptualize my, myself as a very small child in mm-hmm. what I remember seems to to actually alter as I get older. so I don't know that we can entirely unbiasedly remember what mm-hmm. you know what what was going on for us at that you know at that yeah three, four five year old age.
1: Because um, I mean there must be there must be a reason like with the homosexual subtype of gender dysphoria, there must be some reason why. Gender nonconformity, especially in in um, gay kids, like mm-hmm. why is that so much a part of the childhood? Like, what is it about? It's almost like a pre a sexuality in in gay and lesbian children. So they're they're not necessarily they're not sexual beings yet as a as a three year old or five year old. But there seems to be something developmental for us that you know because we are going to grow up to be gay or lesbian there is probably something neurologically different about our sexual orientation that is playing out when we're children that isn't isn't ne- necessarily a sexual orientation yet it's sort of like the a developmental stage towards the sexual orientation
0: right like how much of it is um is so with girls being hyper like, so so it's not so much that these are are born lesbians so much as these are very very masculine girls who then you know when when our sexuality develops and i i am I'm, I'm different in this regard um but but like um i wonder how much how much of sexuality is is the result of either in males Hyperfeminization in the womb. And thus, thus the result is is homosexuality or attraction to men and vice versa in, uh, in girls. So, you know, so it's like, we keep doing this chicken and egg thing is like, are we talking about somebody who's a lesbian, when, who's going to grow up to be a lesbian and therefore she's hyper-masculine as a girl? Or are we talking about somebody who was exposed to, a, you know, uh, ex- extremely high for a female, amounts of testosterone in the womb, and therefore is going to ultimately develop a sexual attraction towards females. Uh, So, you know, so is it, is it the masculinization and the feminization that then results in same-sex attraction as you grow up? Um, That seems to be the
1: case. And that'll be an interesting question when we do have our conversation uh, next week about testosterone, um, because we do know that people with certain um, intersex conditions, like the one I had, where where we do have higher than average female testosterone levels, that we are mm-hmm. more likely to also be same sex sex attracted. So, mm-hmm. these at for for natal females, um, exposure to testosterone in during fetal development does seem to to yeah to um, be a factor in how our sexual orientation developed. That it seemed to. Masculinized that testosterone in utero masculinized our our brain in such a way. Not that it makes give me a male brain, but it it made right. it, it made me seem sex attracted. Yeah, and that somehow yeah. my gender dysphoria is probably somehow tied to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but when I really reflect on on trying to understand my my gender dysphoria, I keep coming back to this concept of of cognitive categorization, which. Is for the most part an unconscious mm-hmm. process, and, and three-year-olds, and, and my earliest memories of gender dysphoria are around that time of being three. And but th- when we're three, that's also the time where, where we're developing the ability to cognitively categorize things, and that that's for the most. It's a very sof- complex, sophisticated cognitive process when you think about even something like um, understanding the difference between a cat and a dog. And most mm-hmm. three-year-olds can point at a cat and say, "There's a cat," and most and there's a dog. But when you really break that down, it's, it's actually quite complicated how we arrive at that. Right. I mean, because there's, Mm -hmm. there's, it's not like, there's so many similarities between them. They're both mammals. They both have four legs. They both have hair. Mm -hmm. They both, right. There's, there's Mm -hmm. big, big dogs and small dogs, and there's big cats and small cats, but we're still able, despite all of those similarities and differences, we're able to say, well, there's a cat and there's a dog. Mm -hmm. So we go through a similar categorization of male and female as three-year olds as well.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so most, most three-year-olds can say, well, there's a man and there's a woman, but I don't think a three-year-old understands the difference between the sexes in the same way, like a radical feminist might, right? That, sure. Right. Yeah. So it's, 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 so they are categorizing male and female, not necessarily based on an understanding of genetics or chromosomes, like how chromosomes work or, or how gametes work. Right. I don't think I even saw boys and girls naked when I was a three-year-old, but I still Mm -hmm. categorized there's boys and there's girls. So it's Mm -hmm. very much a, I think we make those categorizations um, not based on genitals, not based on chromosomes. We, we base it largely on, on social and visual cues. (laughs) And, um, and so And so it's like a gestalt sort of the type of thinking that there's a whole bunch of little factors that go into how we made those categorizations. And I think for me, gender dysphoria was like a malfunction of that categorization process because, and maybe that, that is where sexism plays into it that growing up in a really small town where there wasn't a lot of diversity, um, there were much more limited sort of roles for for men and for women, and and so maybe my process of cognitive categorization would have been different. If there were, if I was seeing much more of a range of, there's lots of different kinds of women and lots of different kinds of men, because I don't remember like really knowing any gay or lesbian people or gender mm-hmm. nonconforming people. Mm-hmm. Some, I mean, yeah, far, some farming women in small towns have a much more masculine sort of appearance if short hair mm-hmm. and wear flannel shirts or whatever. But, but still, there was a much more narrow range of of male and female. So that could have been a factor. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff yeah, uh, yeah we had yeah. a handful of questions and um we thought we were going to end up having a shorter episode this time and
0: i think we still came in at about about an hour <laughs> an hour <Yeah>. 30
1: <laughs> we're going to try we're going to
0: try to aim towards more hour long episodes but it might not it might not be within our capability
1: <laughs> <laughs> once we get going we just yeah, yeah, yeah. We just we just go <laughs> yeah well great i these have been great questions i'm, I'm yeah. glad we glad we did this and...
0: yeah Yeah, I think it was a great conversation, tackled a lot of material. And thank you to uh, everybody who submitted the questions. There were a lot, they were really good that we didn't get to, Um, but but yeah, thank you to everybody who did submit them. Um, Yeah, very good, very good uh, content. Thank you. Yeah,
1: all right, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.